Amen. Thank you, Jackie. We are going back into the book of Acts this morning, and we're going to finish up in the next three weeks. So go ahead and turn in the book of Acts to chapter 27. The series has been called Let's Go Change the World, and the sermon today is called Surviving the Storm. Surviving the Storm. Oh, say, okay, so question. How many of you have been on a cruise? Raise your hand up if you've been on a cruise. Okay. All right, put your hands down. How many of you had something go wrong on that cruise? Anybody? Anybody have a problem on the cruise? Is there anything more frightening than perhaps being far out at sea at night and maybe a storm comes in and then things go very wrong on the cruise? Well, one of the worst cruise, miserable cruise experiences, where nobody died, but one of the worst miserable cruise experiences was in 2013, the Carnival Triumph. 2,700 passengers were aboard. A fire broke out in the engine room. This left the ship without power or propulsion for four days. This resulted in no air conditioning, no working toilets for the passengers or the crew. Human waste was piled up in bags on the decks. After investigation, documents show that the cruise line was aware that an engine fire was likely, but continued to operate the ship. Passengers described the carpet soaked with more than two inches of raw sewage. It took four days for the Triumph to be towed from the Gulf of Mexico to Mobile, Alabama. Report, reports were that the human sewage problem was so bad that onlookers could smell the ship from the dock. Sign me up! Well, they're trying to get Paul to Rome. We've been following his many woes, and there are still several more woes to go. Let's put that slide up there of Paul's many problems. Paul was told by God he's going to get to Rome. So far, we've covered the mob attack in the temple. He was almost tortured by Romans. The Sanhedrin trial ended in chaos. Forty assassins planned to kill him. There was a stealth night military transfer, the hearing before Governor Felix, meetings with Felix and Drusilla privately. Then his case was delayed and he was left for Festus. After two years, rulers planned to ambush him again. Then Festus offered him a crooked retrial. Paul appealed to Caesar. He had a hearing before King Agrippa II. And today he will be lost at sea. Then will come a shipwreck next week with Roman soldiers who also want to kill him. Still, he'll face being marooned on Malta, a fatal snake bite. Then he will get to Rome, where he will appear before Nero. Hey, you're going to see that God promised to get Paul to Rome. And through all the chaos, God was faithful. Today, Paul is going to be lost at sea in a storm. And I want you to know that God will allow storms into your life. This sermon is going to be very impactful for you. Maybe you've gone through a storm recently and you are still trying to figure out what happened. You're seasick! And you know what God was thinking! Or it's coming soon and you have to get ready. Here's a picture of a stormy horizon. And I just want you to know that God is going to steer you into that. Okay? God is going to steer you into that. Hurricane force winds creating emotional chaos, unrelenting anxiety, dread, and even despair. These storms will test your faith. 
will add tremendous gravity to specific periods in your life. And God will permit these storms to display his presence and power. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would all learn how to survive the storm. I know you will allow storms into our lives. You already have. Many people in this room can, can tell terrifying stories of darkness, sickness, lack of hope. Lord, maybe right now there are some who are here in person or watching online and the ship is going down. They have no control and they feel they've lost all hope. Oh, Father, show us how to find you. And Jesus, show us how to trust you in the storm. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, chapter 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners, he's a prisoner, to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put at Sidon, Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Remember, even though he was a prisoner, they all kind of knew that the Jews set him up. They couldn't find him guilty after years of a trial. So that's why he's being treated differently than a common prisoner here. Everybody kind of knows he didn't do anything wrong, but still he's going to Caesar. So that's why things like that are happening. Verse 4, And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea, along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Let's write this down. When skies darken, when skies darken, and this is a one-point sermon that's a bit of a run-on sentence that is going to follow the contours of this harrowing tale. So when skies darken, they're having a hard time. They're having a very hard time getting where they're going. In verses 1 to 9, let's recap. Winds were against us, sailed slowly, arrived with difficulty, couldn't go farther. With difficulty, now 
dangerous. That would be a changing of the winds. That would be a life is getting harder, this trip is getting more dangerous. Now I think for Paul that's because they were taking uh, risky chances in trying to get with their go where they were going. There were times of the year you really shouldn't sail, and there were times of the year it would be disastrous to sail. They were pushing it. Paul was an experienced traveler, so he knew it. He had been on shipwrecks before. So he felt the need to speak up. What we learn here is skies will darken. Winds will change. Life will get hard. It's not going to be smooth sailing. God didn't just say, you know what? We got to get Paul to Rome. Let's give him still waters all the way there. In fact, let's let him just walk on top of the water. Why even use a boat? He's going to Rome, right? You have to learn about what God will permit in your life. I know what you want in life. Here's a picture of all green lights. Check it out. This is what you would prefer in life, am I right? Christian coming through, look out! Nothing but green, here we go! Why wouldn't God allow that in your life? Why wouldn't God allow that in this church? Why wouldn't God allow that with your kids? One linear straight shot to glory with nothing troubling you on the way. Isn't that in your heart what you want? Suddenly yellow light, ah! Red light, grr, train, and you're stuck, and you're not happy. When skies darken, Paul was on this ship, and he had a bad feeling about this. He tried to warn them, this was most likely 8059 October. It was dangerous to sail in the fall, impossible to sail in the winter. So we learn here that skies will grow dark. Don't listen to preachers who promise you prosperity as long as you have enough faith to believe. Don't listen to people who blog or write books or are on the TV who say if you have problems in life, it's because your faith isn't strong enough. They're false teachers. Nothing cheapens salvation more than promising a free car goes along with it. Have you received your free car yet? All the blessings in life are yours. You should be rich by now if you had enough faith. Hey, turn that off. That's garbage. That's garbage. And there's a lot of prosperity preachers on TV. Oh, they make you feel real good. You're like, wow, I feel like my life is going to turn around if I have a little bit more faith. My blessing is on the way. Maybe not. Maybe your shipwreck is on the way. Read your Bible. Paul was right where God wanted him. And this ship is going to go down. Don't be fooled by people who promise you prosperity and no trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. Jesus didn't say, take up your crossword puzzle and follow me. It's a cross. It is a torturous method of execution that is on your back every day. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have pain. You're going to have problems. And don't let the enemy come along and say, and it's because you didn't have enough faith that these problems are in your life. Uh, your father told you that it was going to be hard. Skies will grow dark. Sometimes they grow dark and it's not your fault. Now there is a difference if you mess up, okay, if the brakes of your car went out and you didn't go get them fixed and then you went over a cliff, that is your fault, okay? Like you knew the brakes were out and you decided to try and drive Flintstone style to work and it didn't work, okay? Don't be like, why did this happen to me? You should've got brakes fixed, okay? But sometimes it's not your fault. Here it's not Paul's fault. So sometimes things will go wrong 
because of other people. It wasn't you who maybe threw your family into turmoil. It wasn't you who maybe made the bad financial decisions for your company. It wasn't you who quit the relationship. Someone steered you into this, and you're stuck on the ship. You can't fix it. So we learned that skies will grow dark. Sometimes they grow dark, and it's not your fault. And also we will see here that just when you thought things couldn't get any worse, God will sometimes allow things to get much, 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 much worse than you could ever possibly imagine. Terrifyingly, horrifyingly, death-defyingly worse. That's biblical. Check the fine print in your agreement with God the expectations you have of him to not allow certain problems into your life and tear that agreement up because God never signed it. Life's going to get hard and God's going to be there. When skies darken, they will darken. Write this down. And your soul is violently storm-tossed. And your soul is violently storm-tossed. So let's read on in verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently... Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But as soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running along the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. That's the lifeboat that was dragged behind. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the surface, they lowered the gear. And thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. When skies darken and your soul is violently storm-tossed, they had false hope. The gentle wind blew. This is our chance. We're going to get through this. We're going to make it. we got to go now. And then the hurricane came. That'll happen to you. It'll seem like things have changed. This is what I needed. Now it's going to be okay. And then chaos comes. False hope leads to no hope. A tempestuous wind comes down. Hurricane force winds throwing you about. And it was sudden. It was unexpected. It took a turn for the worse. This could describe so many situations in your life. A medical condition that you thought was getting better, an emotional problem that you thought was improving, a behavior issue with a child that you thought was getting there, your marriage you thought was improving. Suddenly the winds change again and it's worse than it ever was. Here's a couple maps. I want to give you some perspective here. This first map shows the size of the Mediterranean Sea. There's the U.S. Uh, transposed over the Mediterranean. Look at how gigantic this sea is that they are now helplessly adrift in. 
Now they've traveled a little bit. Israel's on the, over to the right. They traveled over kind of past the Turkey area, and they were at an island. You can't see it, but, you know, down and to the right from Greece. Now they are adrift right where it says Mediterranean Sea. There's about a 600-mile adrift journey they're about to take. So it's roughly about the same distance from Chicago to D.C., okay, that they are about to just helplessly drift in for two straight weeks. This is terrifying. Here's another picture that shows you a little bit of where they were going. So there's the place on the world in the bottom, and then over to the right shows they went up to Sidon, and then they went over to Myra. The red line shows you. Uh, my good laser pointer is missing, so if any of you find it, please return it to the owner. I wish I could use it right now, but I don't have it. So then uh, Myra, and then they went down to Salome. You see right in the middle of the map, Fair Havens, and they're like, okay, let's try to make it a little further. They couldn't get, they just needed to get from Fair Havens just around the corner to Phoenix, and then boom, the uh, air came down, the wind came down, and now they were lost at sea. Do you see in the lower left where it says Sirtis Major? That is a graveyard for ships. It's the worst possible place ships can end up, and that is right where they're heading. They think they are going to die. They think they're going to die. Just to put you into this further, I've got a video here. Check it out. So imagine this video. We'll play the video here for a few weeks. This is your trip for two straight weeks and worse. All right, go to the next picture. This is what's coming, uh, bottom line. That's how this journey is going to end. So why doesn't God still the storm? I mean, we know when Jesus was on earth, he was asleep in the boat. And then the storm came down and they woke him up. Wake up, we're going to die. And then Jesus got up. And he walked over and he said, he said, peace be still. And he silenced the wind and he calmed the waves. And then the storm was over. Then he turned to the disciples and said, where is your faith? Why can't it end like that every time? This is the story of when God doesn't calm the storm. This is the story of when the ship goes down. Are you ready for that? Storms show God's presence and power in a special way. That's why Christians lose jobs. That's why Christians have to call the tow truck. That's why Christians get cancer. That's why Christians lose loved ones. When the same recession that hit your neighbor hits you, when the same housing market that burst on your coworker bursts on you, when the same disease that attacks a friend attacks you, there will be the feeling that you are being tossed about by a storm and you have absolutely no control over where you're going. But there will be a difference between you and someone who doesn't know Christ. God will be present in power. You could be in a hospital bed next to someone who has the exact same diagnosis as you, exact same symptoms, exact same uh, treatment plan, and if you know Jesus and they don't, you are on two totally different planes. Your reality is completely different. Your destiny is completely different. God is present in power with you and you will experience it. 
All hope was lost. Do you feel that way now? Do you see no way out of this? All hope was abandoned. That all hope. The ship is going down. There is no hope. They're all going to die. Have you felt that way before? Do you feel that way now? There will be personal storms that last longer than you thought that drive you into the darkness. And the feeling is accurate. Violently storm-tossed. Dark, despairing. Have you been there? You will be. Sometimes there's no hope for your finances. There's no hope for your child. There's no hope for your marriage. You feel submerged and sinking deeper every day. Sometimes it feels there's no hope for our world. Sinking, sinking, sinking. And you're right. Sometimes on earth, as far as you can see, when you've done everything you can do, sometimes you're right. It is hopeless. It's over. It's done. And there's nothing you can do. Well, then what? When skies darken and your soul is violently storm-tossed, look at verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury at loss. Do you ever get a good moment like that? I told you so! Why did no one listen to me? I was the one saying we shouldn't do this. I was like that monkey with the symbols. No, 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 and no one listened to me. Sometimes it just feels good to say that, doesn't it? <laughs> Yet now, verse 22, I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Huh? What is this prisoner doing? For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Can you imagine Paul starving? On a sinking ship, they don't know where they're going. They can't get there anymore. He stands up while there's lightning behind him and says, we're all going to live. What? What? On what basis? An angel showed up. I love that the angel found the ship. Did you see how big that Mediterranean was? I love that the angel found the ship, showed up, appeared to Paul, if I, if I were on that ship, I'd grab the angel by the ankles and say, let's go. I saw Peter Pan. You can fly, you can fly, you can fly. Get me out of here, right? No. Everything's going to be good. Don't be afraid. God has given you all. So this is like an answer to prayer. God has graciously given you all the lives of the people on the ship. You're all going to live. Bye. What? The angel leaves. So shipwreck is the only way to be saved here. Jot this down. Boldly declare your faith in Christ. 
Boldly declare your faith in Christ. The angel showed up, and then after that, Paul stood up, and he said, So take heart, men, for I have faith in God. I love this, that it will be exactly as I have been told. That's the man of faith. Standing on a sinking ship, starving, he says, I have faith in God. It will be exactly to me as I have been told. <laughs> Lightning, nausea, that's when he makes the bold declaration of faith. That's when you have to make the bold declaration of faith. Never doubt God's presence in the storm. The angel was there. Never, ever conclude you're alone. It'll feel that way, but it's not true. Never conclude that God has left you alone. He's promised he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. An angel likely won't appear. It's very rare. But God is right there with you. That is established here. If God can find that ship in the middle of the Mediterranean, he's with you. God stands with you in the storm. God is steering the ship when you can't steer it anymore. God is steering the ship. Never doubt God's presence. And notice also in this story that it isn't the skilled sailors, it isn't the trained soldiers, it isn't even the powerful centurion, it's the praying prisoner who God is listening to. That's who God is watching. You might have experts in your problem, you might have people with authority in your problem, you might have, you're surrounded by all these people who are kind of in charge, and God hears your prayer. And God answers you. It seems like total chaos on earth, but heaven's in total control. The angel showed up. He didn't give a plan. Here, give this to the captain. There's the 55 different ways you're going to you're going to steer this. It's all good. Don't be afraid. Bye. Heaven is in command. An angel stood before me. Paul calls God the God to whom I belong. Never doubt God's love. You belong to him. But there are some in this room and some who are watching online, and you don't belong to God yet. You have not received Jesus as Savior and Lord, repented of your sin, said sorry to God, humbled yourself, and you have not been saved. And I need you to know that this is a terrifying experience for you because you're going to go through the storms of this life without God as your Father. And oh, he's going to try and show you how much you need him. But if you think he's there, but you have not repented and asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, he's not there for you like he wants to be. And that's a tragedy. You're going to go through it alone. And God's going to try and get your attention. Every single thing you suffer before you become a Christian is God showing you the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. You need my son. You need my son. And how many trials have you been through without Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Boldly declare your faith in Christ before the storm, ideally. During the storm, just as good. To whom I belong, Paul said. The God to whom I belong. So many are going through the storms of this life without God and they have no hope. They have no hope. They will only hold out so long. Even if they make it through several storms, then they'll cross over into the next life and perish eternally because they didn't have Christ. That's tragic. The God to whom I belong, whom I worship and serve, never deny God worship when you're in the storm. 
Yeah, well, I don't feel like singing today. I don't feel like going to church today. My life is hard. God hasn't answered my prayer. Hmm. Hey, there are a lot of weeks I don't feel like singing. Sing louder those weeks. I think it's precious to God when you sing louder when you don't feel like singing at all. Get here, sing loud. Paul said, the God whom I worship and serve. He's starving on a sinking ship and he's worshiping God. You might feel resentful. Well, you got to even allow this. You might feel shocked. It's gotten worse than I ever thought. Calm this storm, then I'll praise you. No deal. Praise him in the storm. Do not be afraid, he was told. You must stand before Caesar. God's in control. So take heart, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. He said, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. I have faith. Do you have faith right now in the storm? Do you have faith? When you went through it in the past, did you do okay or did you flop, sink? When storms test your faith, they can strengthen you or shipwreck you. So you have to say it. Paul is saying it. I have faith. You have to say it. You have to say it to your friends. You have to say it to your spouse. You have to say it to your kids. You have to say it on the sunny days. You have to say it in the darkness. You have to shout it in the storm. I have faith. I can't see it. I feel like it's over. I have faith. You have to say it. You have to mean it. You have to cling to it. And it will be exactly as I have been told. God's promises are always true, no matter how you feel. Resolve it deeply in your heart. Dr. Edmund from Wheaton College said, never doubt in the darkness what God has showed you in the light. Are you doubting? This is your chance to give him true worship, even if your heart protests every word. This is your chance to follow him more closely than ever, even if the road feels wrong every step. This is your chance to tell your enemy you don't believe his lies about your good father and you never will. This is your chance right now. When skies darken and your soul is violently storm-tossed, boldly declare your faith in Christ. Write this down. Cut the rope of compromise. This gets very interesting here. We must run aground on some island. There you are, perhaps a member of the crew, a soldier, a, a slave, so you're on the ship, you hear this guy say, we're gonna, ship's going to go down, but we're going to get to some island, we'll all be safe. When the 14th night had come, and we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. So a fathom was about Six feet, 120 feet, 90 feet. And fearing that we might run aground on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. 
See, this is like when they're out in the open, they can't hit anything. They can just starve to death, right? But now this is where, this is where it's going to go bad. They're going to hit something. The ship's going to sink. They'll be off the shore. They won't be able to make it to shore. Verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, now the sailors, they're going to need them. They're trying to escape secretly. It's dark. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. Very intriguing moment here. Because the sailors think they got to save themselves. They're going to go down to the lifeboat and they're going to get off this ship. Everybody's going to die. They're going to be okay. That's what's happening here. And who knows what Paul knows, but part of the deal is everybody has to stay with the ship. That's the deal. If they don't stay with the ship, who knows? Paul is promised he's going to make it, but these people are going to die. It's very fascinating. This is why I would call this the rope of compromise. They were told they will make it to shore if they stick with Paul. They're now trying to come up with another way. Paul, an apostle of God who speaks with authority because he's been given a direct revelation, says, they leave, you die. They leave, you die. Now the centurion has quite a dilemma. It's been two weeks. They really want to make it. We see here the interweaving of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility during a trial. Unless the sailors stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. An angel declared they would all be saved, but if they jump ship and take any other means, they'll drown. You see the interweaving here of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility during a trial. The worst thing to assume is that you're simply a victim of time and chance and God, and you just are afloat or desperate. You need to make this work. These are tragic conclusions. You can be found in a sense of powerlessness. Well, it's going to end however it's going to end. This leads to blame, resentment, hopelessness, and it's based on a lie that God isn't sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And the lie that, well, it's going to happen, however it's going to happen, you know, every man for himself, that, that's another wrong conclusion. Don't feel like you're just afloat and you have no control over things, and don't feel like, i got to take matters into my own hands and get myself off this ship. Wrong, wrong. you got to trust God and do what is right. Here there was a clear, direct warning from an apostle of God. You leave the ship, you die. It's life or death. Obedience to God's word is sometimes life or death in the moment of a trial. Here's a picture of a centurion. This guy now has to make the call. Why would he listen to a prisoner? Isn't it shocking? A prisoner who saw an angel. Really? I don't know that everybody on this ship was buying it. The prisoner saw an angel. And all the guy's men had prisoners, and if their prisoner escaped, the soldier would be killed. So the centurion, first he listened to the captain and the helmsman. Then he is now listening to Paul, who earned his trust. He believed what Paul said about the angel, and the centurion is going to take a risky action and follow the plan that God laid out. Listen, the centurion is going to believe that the shipwreck is the only way to survive. Isn't that crazy? Maybe the centurion should have gotten into the lifeboat and said, take me with you. Let all of them die. The centurion is fascinating here. It says here in verse 32, then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. They believe Paul. Verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day you continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. Listen, 
For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. This is communion, demonstrating his faith and belief that Christ is present with them. It's a beautiful picture. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were all, in all, 276 persons on the ship. Some manuscripts say 76, but the uh, recorded reading here, I think, is accurate to think through the 276 people on this ship. Luke is writing first person here. Isn't it a wonderful thought to see Luke starving right next to Paul while the Bible is being written? These eyewitnesses can be trusted, and he got every island precisely right. He's writing this from the sinking ship. When they had eaten enough, they light, lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now the cargo's gone. So they don't have any food. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck, remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. Now Paul's starving on a sinking ship, and the soldiers want to kill all the prisoners. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, there's the favor of God, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. And the rest on planks are on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Finally, write this down. When skies darken and your soul is violently storm-tossed, boldly declare your faith in Christ. Cut the rope of compromise and God will bring you safely to shore. The hole in your boat may be big, but it's not too big for God. Not a hair on your head. That's what Paul told them. Talk about having no control over his own security. Starving on a boat that's falling apart, shipwrecks the only hope of getting to shore, stranded in the middle of nowhere. But God said, don't be afraid. That's what God's word says to you. Don't be afraid. Don't be, you don't understand. I can't control this anymore. Don't be afraid. Yeah, but I can't see anything. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I tried to warn that. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. All were brought safely to land. Can you see them strewn across the beach, hundreds of them, gasping for breath, kissing the sand, maybe shouting out in celebration? Can you see them? Can you see them all? And can you see that it was God's sovereign hand that brought them all safely to shore? I know you want the storm to be calmed. I know you want Jesus to say, peace be still. When he doesn't, and the ship goes down, and you are kicking your way to the beach, holding on to a plank, and whatever it was that you hope would make it is gone, he will lead you safely to shore. He's promised. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to take a few minutes here to let you truly reflect on what you just heard. I want to take a few moments here for you to, in your own soul, Resolve in your heart to 
Remain in a posture of faith. Maybe you're in a storm right now. Or maybe you don't know it, but it's coming. And maybe you'll need this sermon a lot more than you ever thought you would soon. I want you to reflect on everything that you just heard. Because we saw a mighty, mighty act of God on behalf of all these people on the ship. You will feel hopeless. You'll feel stuck in the darkness. Control will be taken away from you. You'll be given false hope and suddenly things will get more terrifying than you ever thought. This is how life works. But your Father has promised to protect you. And your Lord has promised to shepherd you. So you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Fear no evil. His rod and his staff, they will comfort you. Are you struggling? Do you feel like it's going down? Is it already gone down? Have you lost it? Can't get it back? God will bring you safely to shore. If you're in it right now, you might be tempted to compromise. You might be tempted to feel like you're just a victim. What can God do? You, you might feel like no one can do anything and you'll fall into despair. Or you might feel like you've got to take matters into your own hands and pick a sinful solution and try and fix it. Drastically, radically, violently, unethically, you might compromise. Cut that rope. Cut that away. You have to cling to the promise of God. God said Paul was going to Rome. Nothing on earth could stand in the way of that promise. God promises that he will lead you and me safely to heaven. Nothing on earth will stand in the way of that. And everything that comes, he'll work together for good. So in your own heart, I'd like to lead you in a prayer right now. First and foremost, God maybe has been trying to wake you up to the reality that you don't have Christ in your life as Savior and Lord. And you've had a lot of problems. You've faced a lot of setbacks. And you've been wondering why. And the reason is because you need God's Son as Savior and Lord, and you don't have Him yet. That's why you have the shame, the guilt, the fear, the despair. That's why you feel powerless. Right here and right now, I'd like to give you the opportunity to pray. Jesus, I'm done trying to get through this life alone. Forgive me for waiting this long, but I repent. I turn from my sins, and I ask for you to be my Savior and my Lord. Jesus, come into my life right now and save me. And be with me through all of the storms that I go through. If you repent and cry out to God and turn to Jesus, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. All the hard things you go through in this life will reassure you that he is present in power. And Lord, there are some Christians who are here today and the storm is just beating them down. It's dragging them through the muck, the mire. They feel like they don't have the energy, Lord, the reassurance, the confidence. They feel ashamed. They feel like they should be doing better than this. Lord, I just pray that you would give them that touch of grace, remind them of the promises in your word, and 
May they be emboldened by Paul standing on this sinking ship with black skies behind him and lightning pounding him. May they say, I have faith that it will be exactly as I have been told. May they never lose hope. Strengthen them today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's stand and let's sing together.